Hey, this is Chad of Evercon. Hey, I'm listening to Sean and the other guy on Gaming and BS. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a podcast about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. This is episode 66, where we're going to talk about critical hits and fumbles in tabletop role-playing games. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks, or for those joining us. Glad to have you with us. Sean, you didn't notice my shirt, man. Hey, hey, Brett. I finally, got I finally grabbed one. Brett's got a gaming MBS shirt, everybody. Yeah, it took me a bit. finally got one. So for all the fans that have gaming and BS shirts before one of the hosts of the show, you get five extra experience points. Good for you. Yes. That I think is, I think that goes without saying. Absolutely. All right. Are you ready for this, Brett? Are you ready? I, I think so. I was taking a nap just before we started. So I'm feeling fresh. Let's do it. Dust those cobwebs and get those sleepy boogers out of your eye. Yeah, let's kind of do a little of this, a little of that. All right. All right. Uh, announcements. Gary Khan. Gary Khan. I got an announcement oh, up there. Yeah, Gary Khan, March 3rd through the 6th, 2016. Go to com. Uh, the event registration, I believe, ends January 1. January 1st. I have to get my events in. I must have, I must have, uh, so last year the, the game hole guys asked me if I'd run a, an event at their table. They didn't ask me this year. <laughs> They're probably like, yeah, we, we really don't want to be too closely associated with those guys. They probably asked somebody like, Hey, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, how'd that guy run? You know, is it a pretty good game or they're like, no, and then Alex probably is like, I'm not going to talk to Sean then next year. Yeah, better not do that. Nah, <laughs> who knows? I get paranoid. So I'm hoping I, I'm hoping I can go. If you you still got the room, you still got a room. Yeah, I got a room, baby. Okay. All right, room. I might be able. I might be able to crash with you. We'll see. Backseat of my Jeep. That'll work. <laughs> it's 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 March in Wisconsin. It can't be too cold. I can handle it's, that. It's high as sixty today. I know <laughs> it was freaking crazy. Rain in sixty. It's December. What is it? Thirteenth today. Yeah, December thirteenth, twenty fifteen. Drop for, of snow. So not you, a flake of snow. You'll probably listen to this in ten years and realize, like, that's um, when global warming hit and everyone died. It's the, after that. The record high as of this point. After that, yes. who knows? All right, we better close in on the banter. Let's go. Ooh, in, let's let's go to random encounter, shall we? Do the thing. Do I, the thing. I, okay. Random encounter segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails. And comments from social media and our website. We have a few this this week. I di- I don't think I got to the the pluses this week for some reason. Getting hung That's up, okay. Getting That's hung okay. up on hung up on some stuff. We got a couple of emails though. Well, you start with them, and we'll see what we can do. All right, first email from Mark Dawson. Hey BNS, this is my first time writing to a podcast. Hey. Thanks, Mark. Makes for, me feel good. Hey, thanks for making us your first. Uh, someone suggested your show in a tabletop RPG group on the 
quote unquote book of faces. Ah, uh, Facebooks. Book of faces. Ah, nicely twist. done. Play on words. A couple months ago, I've since started with episode one and worked my way forward because that's just how I roll. Dude, he nice. is an overachiever, this guy, Mark. This Mark, this Mark Dawson. He's now uh, he's one of my favorite people. All right. Very good. I just caught up with the latest episode, RPG styles and systems, and feel I'm able to comment with some relevance now that I'm finally current with the show. Having listened to so much BS in a relatively short time, I have some observations on how topics from separate episodes relate to one another. See, started at one and ran all the way through. He understands the intricate play that is the uh, novel of our experience. So continue on, sir. Every gaming group has their own style of play regardless of the system. References episode 65. It all comes down to social dynamics, how various personalities interact with one another. Episode 50. The type of scenarios a particular GM tends to lay out. Episode 24. And how the players choose to deal with challenges. Episode 56. Due to the vast complexity of rule sets, episode five, from countless games, we all tend to, quote unquote, hand wave certain things, quote, modify rules to suit our personal needs, unquote, or institute house rules that we find appropriate for our specific group, episode 29. But in playing these bastardized versions of our favorite games, we might be creating more problems rather than improving our gaming experience. By omitting certain rules or opting to include aspects of other systems into our current game, we're going against the the game designer's original intentions, which has the potential to create a domino effect. As the uh, as Mr. Schneezak and Mr. Vecchio and Mr. Director Mark would say, um, off-label usage. Off-label usage. <laughs> Correct. He continues, Mr. Mark Dawson. Examples. By saying things like, who cares about created balanced encounters? I'll just tweak the monster's stats, etc. Episode 12. We inadvertently run the risk of a TPK. Episode 3. Or worse, reward the PCs with more XP. Episode 20. Then was earned by dumbing down a powerful creature. And this guy did his research as a, yeah, this is the old, this man has take as a freaking cliff notes version of every show we've done. This is awesome. Mark, this is hilarious. I love it. You're a crazy man. All right. Uh, where did I go? Okay. As a, okay. As a result of unbalanced encounters, we end up with fudging the dice episode 44 to get the results we want. But if we take the time to build an adventure with an appropriate challenge level, then the group will most likely come out on top even if we let the dice roll naturally. Choosing not to play with encumbrance, episode 48, rules because the bookkeeping, bookkeeping is a huge pain in the arse, automatically devalues basic items, episode 52, like armor, weapons, and as a result, money, episode 46. But if a character can only carry 100 gold pieces out of the dragon's lair and must travel, episode 45, a long and perilous route to safety, suddenly those 100 coins hold a lot more value, even if there are thousands more still waiting to be claimed back in the dungeon. As someone who's been designing an RPG with a friend for the last uh, past couple years, I know how difficult it is to keep the bigger picture in mind 
while writing mechanics to govern the smallest details. Each rule is like a single cog in a hugely complex machine. They all work together and were put there for a specific purpose. At least that's my intention from a game design perspective. Anywho, I've enjoyed listening to the progression of your podcast. The quality seems to audibly improve with each episode. I'm really glad Sean is starting to participate more in the topic discussions after receiving constructive criticism and feedback from other listeners. Brett, thank you for holding up his end of the bargain. Keep going. (laughs) Brett, thank you for choosing some great topics. Uh, that's him saying that, not me. I look forward to hearing episodes that deal with more specific aspects of games, which seems to be the direction you're heading. How about an episode that deals with game mechanics? What are your favorite or most hated mechanics from various game systems you've played over the years and why? Apologies for the length of this email. I completely understand if you choose not to address it on the show, but still wanted to share my thoughts and ideas. Hopefully now that I'm current with the show, I'll be able to comment more briefly on individual episodes. Good gaming, all signed, Mark Dawson. Nice. Thank you, Mark. That was incredibly well thought out, man. That's really cool. P.S. P.S. Regarding the die rolls section of the show, rather than two to four miscellaneous points, I think it should be 2D4. Now, there's times I think I try to emphasize the 2D4, and I don't think I always do that, so I have to enunciate that a little bit more and a great suggestion by Mr. Dawson. And who should I be to question that guy, Mr. Mark, who I got to refer- I think he knows our catalog better than we do. He's no Very longer well that. Yeah, he's no longer that guy. He's like, yeah, he's our archivist. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I shall take the next one. Forrest. Uh, Forrest, I always butcher your last name whenever I try to say it out loud. So Forrest Aguirre. Oh, God, I'm butchering it. Forrest A., um, published author, great guy. Met him at Game Hole, awesome dude. Um, says, you guys briefly mentioned uh, new monsters in your last podcast. Brace yourselves for whatever James Raggy puts out in Lamentations of the Flame Princess re- referee book. I'm not privy to seeing them all, but I know the monster I submitted and will appear in the book. Uh, I've seen an art piece here and there, and I've heard hints and rumors about a couple of the creatures that were accepted. James was specifically seeking monsters that were original, not only, not only in their physical characteristics, but in their whole conceptualization. He was seeking monsters that would never find their way into any kind of monster manual, no matter how many iterations of MM were published. I can't say much about my contribution, except it will absolutely freak the players the, the fuck out and require something other than mere weapons and spells to defeat it. Ooh, I like this forest. Uh, the whole idea of what a monster is will likely likely get picked up and body slammed when Legends of Flame Princess referee book is finally published, given the rumblings I've been hearing. You have been warned. Thank you, Forrest. Good info. Yeah, James, I mean, we've talked a little bit about Lamentations. lamentations yeah. We I, we haven't gotten into it. We haven't bought it. I know Kev Thulu, fan of the show, has bought Bread and Pleasant Land. Uh, uh, Kev has a copy of Lamentations. He lent it to me. I perused it. Sir. Oh. Looking through it. You have interesting book. Interesting book. Yeah. Yep. Gonna whip that out anytime soon and play it or what? I don't know. I'll probably have to grab myself a uh, digital copy of it or get myself a copy so I can make sure I digest it appropriately so I can apply the mechanics. Where I see. I see. Uh, last we got? last one for wrapping it up uh, for random encounter. Jim Fitzpatrick. He is at Jim the Linguist. On Twitter, thanks for the follow. Just picked up the podcast and love it so far. Only five episodes in. 
I'm also a Madisonian transplant, and I love the local flavor in the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, well, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Thanks, man. And if you're local, hey, uh, hopefully we'll run into each other at a local game store or a local con. Um, and if you have, you get some of the local con word of mouth through us, hopefully. We're on yeah, top of that. Absolutely. All right. Anything else? I think that's it for um, Random Encounter. Let's do the thing. All right. I do have intro music for the main topic. This is trial run. First time only you're hearing it. Premiere. Premiere. This, I think, is going to take the place all the time for future topics, intros. We'll see. Might be a little too long. I don't know. God, now I'm worried. Okay, go. All right, main topic. Too long? Not too bad. Not too bad. Eh, I had a nice cutoff point was right there. Maybe you could fade it a little bit sooner. We'll see. Not bad. It wasn't too long. Thank you, Angela. Angela. I think she's, the, being, I think she's being polite. Yes, Angela's in, in the <laughs> chat room. Topic of discussion. Brett. Yes. Do you want to introduce the topic of discussion? Yes, I do. So my buddy Zave and I were chatting about this because he's a role master guy from way back. And I played my fair share of uh, Merp, Middle Earth role playing, which is a role master derivative. And we were talking about how, um, excuse me, different ways to make combats exciting, interesting, and talking about um, kind of the narrative prowess that game masters and players develop over time. And we were talking about, hey, what did what game systems or tools within them and mechanics-wise helped he and I develop some of the descriptive things that we that we uh, <clears throat> that we use in our games? And we talked about different Dragon magazine articles and stuff we'd read or people we talked to. But the one thing that kept coming up to us was critical hits and fumbles. These mechanical options, and if you've ever played Role Master or Chart Master, as many people would say, there are skill combat. Uh, fumble charts, success charts, failure charts for everything. Um, you've got crazy cool stuff from, you know, the, I think the one, one of my favorites is, you know, it's impact critical. The the text reads body reduced to gelatinous pulp, try a spatula. Um, a fumble that happens is your fall turns into a dive, you crush your skull and die. Um, there's all sorts of horrible things that happen or really cool things that can happen. And, you know, even if there's um, some games have them built in, uh, like right now in, in your uh, D20 games, your more modern ones, you roll a 20. Yay, something cool happens, you roll a one. And not necessarily something bad happens, but there's still that feeling that I rolled a 20, even though every every number on that D20 has a one in 20 chance of actually appearing. Whenever we roll the highest or the lowest, we expect something spectacular to happen. And Zave and I were saying how that kind of, for whatever reason, that piece of the mechanic, either something we added in or was officially in there, helped to expand the way we dealt with some of the narrative uh, descriptions and just really helped to bring flavor of something out in the game. So I wanted to talk about critical hits and fumbles. Sean, what do you think? I Good think topic, bad topic? Well, it's a little late for that, isn't it? Jeez. <laughs> well, I've, I've, well, I've given it to you for a while. Let's see what you say. <laughs> no, it's a good topic, dude. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. I'm ready to contribute. Sweet. So when you pre-official rules for crits and fumbles, yeah. I remember first edition AD&D, you and I are old enough. We both played that. We both played Menster's Red Box or something along those lines. Did you use any house rules, home rules for critical hits or fumbles? Or did you pull some? Dragon Magazine, I think, had some. 
uh, ages back, other fanzines and gamers are putting things together. Was that anything you ever used, Sean? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, I yes. did. Really? So, yes, as a child, young lad playing AD&D First Edition, although it wasn't native to the game system itself, we, as a group, when we'd roll a 20 and then um, we would say, okay, roll it again, and then on that result, we would see what that is. It's kind of the com- confirmation kind of thing that came with 3.0, confirming crits. Okay. So depending on the second roll, and then if it if it, we rolled another 20, we'd roll again and see how bad it was. And it, we'd keep going until it was kind of fizzled out. And then we would come up with the damage. Like So it wouldn't even be the damage necessarily. It may just say, oh, the guy's head gets whopped off. Boom. Done. Finished. So you used it almost like a, in Roll Master, you had what's called open-ended rolls, where if you roll 100, you just keep going. Yeah. So if you roll the 20, you just keep you just keep tacking on the bad until it wasn't it kind of fizzled itself out. Yeah. Some people uh. either call it open ended or exploding <clears throat> dice. Exploding dice, there yeah. you go. So we would do that. Even even on a 20, we would say, How bad is that 20 or how bad is that one? We do it for ones as well, for fumbles. So it would be you didn't you, have a chart that was more nope. subjective? Yep, totally subjective. And we'd roll, a, if we rolled a one, it would always be, how bad is that one? As a matter of fact, I'd use that all the way up until, geez, not just a few years ago. I would say, roll that, how bad is that one? And if they rolled the one again, if they rolled it again and it was really bad, I'd have their weapon fall out. I'd never make it too, too, too critical because then the, the players would get pretty ticked off. But I think they did get, into that a little bit and saying, Oh, you know, Oh, that's like three ones in a row, man. You know, so were you, were you doing it? So I think you're doing it for the same reason I was the reason I loved them in, uh, in middle earth role playing and even Warhammer fantasy role playing. The first edition had some had uh, kind of not as interesting critical hits charts as, um, as role master, but still had some cool charts. It's that <clears throat> kind of that slow-mo as we're talking about in the, uh, in the chat room here, kind of that, opportunity it slows the combat down for a second and whoever did this cool thing gets a bit of spotlight were you doing it for for the spotlight slash really cool narrative effect i mean was it just one of those things where you and your group went well we rolled a 20 something cool must happen is that what you thought or what were you or just yeah if, if you rolled a 20 you would hit and then um i think in some of those systems you did double damage on 20 so even some, in, some yeah, people would, yeah. So I don't know if it was necessarily termed critical hit, but there would be a double damage that would apply. Oh, pardon me. Drinking soda, very bad thing to do when you're doing a podcast. Um, when you, or carbonated drink for that matter, when you, but so you would roll the 20 and then roll it again. And if it was kind of meh, you know, oh, I rolled a 10, not a big deal. You just kind of kept on trucking. But I mean, you get up there in the 18, 19, you know, then you'd have the players go, "Hey, man, it's eighteen, nineteen. Come on, that's pretty good." You know, um, or even on a one, you rolled like a two or a three, get it up above, you know, five. Then it wasn't as bad. Um, but yeah, people would start. I mean, other players would start rooting for the dice to to roll good or bad. Yeah. Okay. Like oh, think- oh hey oh, and then you just sit there and wait for oh, them to throw that thing. Oh, five. oh, I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I honestly, I think that. Um, Critical hits and fumbles are a lot of fun, especially in a fantasy game. And even, well, shit, even in a modern setting when you're shooting somebody and you, you know, with a gun or a knife or whatever it is, or sci-fi, anytime you're in a combat, having those types of critical, excuse me, hits, impacts, Dungeon Crawl Classics pulls it back out again. They've got some pretty cool uh, critical hit charts. 
Um, so having that, the concept of I rolled really big, I rolled a 20, something cool should happen. I rolled a one, I'm expecting something bad, weapon breaks, bowstring snaps, something, my gun jams, um, out of power cells, whatever. I think that kind of is inherent with having that type of randomizer from a combat um, system when you're rolling a die and there's a chance this could be, you know, on one end of the spectrum or the other. The other thing that, <clears throat> so where Zave and I were going with our discussion was how, to me, that really helped to expand how I, as a game master and a player, expected or implemented narrative. And I really liked the descriptions of the charts and tables at first. So this is when, you know, you're starting to do it. And after a while, like, okay, you cut his head off. And people are like, oh, okay, that was cool the first five times. But I want a better description of cut his head off or chopped off an arm. It's so blasé. Well, you got to get the GM to get out of there the same damn thing every time yeah. you're scoring yes. a crit. I know, but when you are when you score five crits in a game or sometimes, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't, it didn't have the breadth of, you know, vocabulary that I could dig into. I did not have 20 years of running games experience to be able to just pull different ex, um, different descriptions out of my head, different concepts of what could happen given the situation. And I really think some of the, excuse me, <clears throat> some of the charts and, and the tables helped me as a younger game master really pull together some ideas of, oh, this could happen. If you fail the movement maneuver in a role master game, you could fall here, you could trip there, you could sprain your ankle. And it was oftentimes, <clears throat> excuse me, ad hoc weird damage. Like, oh, you have a mild concussion. For the next couple of rounds, you are minus 10 on something. Or you sprained your ankle, your movement is limited. Um, so I, I think what that did was it helped me learn how to implement some of that stuff. So when I got to a game system, now I don't need tables and charts. They're, they're not absolutely necessary anymore. But I think as a younger game master, it was really helpful. Um, Sean, did you use any actual um, printed tables and charts or was it all kind of ad hoc on your side? So starting out, it was more ad hoc. We didn't uh, have a bunch of tables and charts. We, I mean, one, you know, ambitious GM would come up with their own um, and then it would, you know, cascade, right? So if it was, you rolled a 20, you'd roll on another chart and then you rolled another you know, then the chart would break it down again and then you would roll it again on another chart. So it would be, well, and it would cascade. So if you roll the 20, boom, you'd roll on another chart and then maybe it was percentage or maybe it was one to 20 again. And then if it was another 20, it went to another chart. And I think as the numbers went higher and as the charts got deeper, the craziness uh, went more gonzo. Yeah, it does. I mean, you roll three twenties. Escalation point. Like, yeah. At a certain point, like, okay, I cut off a finger, a wrist, an arm, and it's going to just start exploding at a certain level. Yeah. I mean, you roll three twenties in you a. You expect huge, crazy <laughs> shit to happen. You're going to, there's limbs that are going to fall off. I mean, what are the odds, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we didn't really do it formally uh, initially, but I think I've, over time, I think somebody might've come up with like a crit critical hit ch uh, chart and then we'd use it or maybe they would just use their own uh, or we'd even, we'd even get to the, Oh no, are you, are you going to use your critical hit chart? Oh man. <laughs> oh it's crap. Sean's got the bastard critical hit chart. Yeah. That thing kills everybody. Yeah. And then it be, had its own reputation. Yeah, it does. That's true. 
So I have talked to some gamers that I've uh, I've played with over the years, and they like, look, I don't really care um, about charts or graphic damage. I just want to keep rolling. So if you roll a twenty, um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the confirming a critical. That's not even been a big big thing for me. But people do. It's a twenty is double damage. It's a twenty is triple damage, or whatever. They just do something very flat like that in order to keep combat rolling, but still give you the the uh, <coughs> excuse me the the feeling that you did something really cool because this rare thing occurred. I think the one place where, at least in the games I've played a lot, when it gets to the when you fumble, um, when the NPC or the monster fumbles, everyone's like, "Oh, that's awesome!" When it happens to the players. They get a little, oh, whoa, 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 I don't think that would really happen. Or, you know, if you didn't have a description or something and you kind of were winging it, if you will, or kind of your own narrative descriptions, it could get a little dicey because sometimes, you know, players don't like having bad things happen to them. I get that. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes I know fumbles didn't always get the same airtime or uh, the, weren't stressed as much. There were a lot of critical charts I remember seeing as a younger gamer, but I never saw a lot of uh, critical fumble charts, a lot of critical, you know, I, you know, cleaved his head, but not so much. I, you know, threw my axe across the room type of thing. Yeah, I think it was always the, uh, I think when it came to fumbles, we, it did this, I think we had critical fumble tables that were similar. So the same person that would come up with the critical hit tables would come up with the critical fumble tables. So if you were older one, three times, four times, five times in a row, which is not impossible at times, then your bad stuff's going to happen, and it may happen to you. And as you roll down and it cascades again, it roll, it happens to another person in your party. So you start out going, "Oh, that sucks," you know. I the weapon drops at your feet. Then maybe it's worse, and then it drops five feet from you. Maybe it goes across the room, or you stab yourself. You stab yourself in the foot. Now you can't move. You stab. Now you stab your your partner next to you in the foot, and they can't move. Or you stab them in the back or the front or the, you lop off their arm and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, three ones, you, four ones in a row. It's like not your weapons, not falling at your feet. Yep. It's something's going to happen badly. I'll tell you that when I've been, when I'm working with my kids, uh, younger gamers and when worked with some of the kids at the, uh, game convention at Evercon, the high school group there, some of the younger game masters, um, we'll go through a combat, <coughs> excuse me, and someone would be like, wow, that was really cool, that, that description. Do you have a chart for that? Do you have a table for that? And I think that one of the things I've expressed to people, and my buddy Zave has too, as we're talking slash coaching, some game master ask you for tips or whatever it is, especially when they don't have a lot of uh, narrative, narrative power, if you will, because they just haven't done it a lot. I've told people, go online and find a D&D critical hit chart. Pull out this chart. Uh, look for something like that. Grab Dungeon Crawl Classics and, and grab onto it. Um, there's some really cool stuff in there. And I think by having it, even if you don't use the table per se, reading through it, I know that I know my, my little guy, AJ will, will, uh, has gone through my critical hit charts from middle earth and went, Oh, that's really cool. So when he has been the game master, when he's played D and D even as, as the player and something happens, he's like, Oh, I want this thing to happen. So he's, he's bringing up this, this memory of the narrative. He read the example. Um, and that's really helped him, kind of uh help it. yeah yeah god I'm, I'm all over this but basically it's built his narrative capacity for for talking about what combat looks like and what it does so i think that's pretty cool the other thing <clears throat> that um i think that does then is it helps when you get into non-combat things because the critical hit charts and fumbles are always about uh shouldn't say always but they tended to be about um 
combat, of course. But when you were, you know, trying to leap across a cliff or something or trying <laughs> to climb a rope in a stressful situation, you know, what is a critical success? You climb the rope, you know, and I think by having some of those things for me anyway, reading through those different charts and things that really helped um, help me anyway, build some, again, narrative capacity so I could better explain things. So it sounds like, Sean, though, you were doing more ad lib, ad hoc kind of descriptions based on the way you did it. I think that's pretty freaking cool. Well, yeah. And as a young punk game master, you were that advanced. Pretty good. Well, you know, I had my moments until I got old and crusty and then forgot about all the cool stuff I'd come up with as a young lad. Um, but even with the, you mentioned like rolling a critical hit to go up the rope, I would make it, you'd go up the rope twice as fast. You'd be able to carry somebody. You would be able to get up there and see a person at the top and you'd get an action to, to whop off their head if you can get there. So it wasn't like, Oh, you're old 20, you're rolling up, you know, rope is not that big a deal. Um, you know, in three Oh, you couldn't critical a skill and, uh, you really don't nowadays in many systems currently. But I, I, I mean, if, if it was a fumble, if you know, it's hard to roll a one on a skill check, especially in like three O derivative games, because you usually have some type of bonus that won't allow you to get an actual one one. You but usually, a natural one fails. A natural one on a skill check does not fail automatically. I know, but it, up here for a lot of yes. gamers, when it when it hits the table, the rule is there. But a lot of times when you you roll the yes. twenty, you expect cool. When you roll the one, you expect something bad. Right. When you roll the one in in some of these ga- the game that I'm referring to, when you have a, a a modifier, you're like, oh, roll the one. Oh, you can't. Oh, but it's a five because I've got a plus four, and you're like, oh yeah. So it's not really that as bad as I thought it was going to be. Me. So. Meep, meep. Let's see. So D and D three O crits can. I mean, I'm I I think confirming crits is horseshit. I don't like it. I think that's just just a stupid way to go. Um, but I th- I like. So anyway, where am I going with this? So there's a cool component to to doing this. Like I said, the charts and tables for me as a young game master helped me figure out certain pieces of it. I honestly think I have to digger <coughs> digger dig deeper into the uh, history of criticals and fumbles and this type of narrative component of it. But to me, that was the first place that that type of either ad hoc, ad libby type of descriptions would come into play. And then it starts to develop into games like, well, the, the modern game, the Star Wars one we were playing. Which one are we playing? We're playing Saga? Is that the one we're playing? I'm, so, I'm going to so choke you. <laughs> You're such an ass. I know. The Fantasy Fight Games, <laughs> Edge of the Empire. Know, know. Edge of the Empire. I know, I know. No, he doesn't. He's giving me. No, I he, don't. He's <laughs> Brett could anyway. Brett's got like he's he digs really deep into his pockets to find two shits about that game. I I, I do. I have they're both right here. They're very small. Very I don't know if you can small see them on camera, but they're really two, small. Two little shits. But the cool part that I really like about it is the <clears throat> the mechanics in there around the dice, and you can succeed with um succeed with the challenge or you you can fail but it's not a failure there's these different twists and turns on things and i think um dungeon world has the uh god fuck i forgot before you get into succeed with yeah sorry with the bonus but before you get off the star wars edge of the empire has critical hits Okay, I haven't shot anything yet, so I don't know about that. Yeah, Brett hasn't really read any of the rules or a plot. I mean, I need to read so- the rules. I have such an awesome game master. There's no point for me to read the rules. <laughs> they will be. Fed. They, I will totally. 
I'm going to just absorb this game as we play it. I'm not even worried about it. If forever captured in audio and video at this point, you heard it here first, folks. But yes, it does have critical hits in the, you could trigger them and there's a table you can roll on. That's like a, I think it goes like one to 200. So you can actually roll over a 100, which will result in something bad. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the campaign podcasts, plug for those guys, they actually, uh, I think I'm on episode 39 or something. I won't give any spoilers away, but somebody, somebody takes a, takes a hit on a critical table. So, uh, again, clearly I have not read the Edge of the Empire rule system, but um, how, are the, how are the examples and so forth around how that mechanic functions within that game? Because I know, you know you can, it's basically this failing forward, succeeding at a cost, as Kevin was pointing out in the, in the chat room. Um, are the examples in Edge of an Empire, I mean, you as a game master, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, these are really, I totally understand how to implement this. Or is it good to supplement your learning for that by listening to a podcast or trying to find something else out? Because to me, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was, when I first started reading um, different types of game systems, and I get it now, and they say, "Oh, it works kind of like this." It'll give a couple brief examples of how to fail forward or or something along those lines. And I wonder, I don't know how well that always translates to certain gamers. I've talked to people at game hole and stuff. Oh, I don't, God, there's just, it's so, it's so loosey goosey. It doesn't feel like it's, doesn't feel very solid to me for some reason, because it's not a very cut and dried. You fail, you succeed, but you have a minus two on your next roll. I mean, are you talking about the, the star Wars edge of the empire game or what? Yeah. What I'm saying is the edge of the empire game, to my understanding, doesn't have anything that cut and dried. It doesn't say you succeed, but you have minus two on your next roll. There's nothing like that in there. Well, yeah, my understanding. So I, this is where I want you to I want you to talk about this, dude. One, I need to get educated, and two, I'm curious as to it's a more it's a better design of what I would consider like a critical hit system or something along those lines. I'm curious how it functions in that in that capacity. All right. So the way so the way combat works in Edge of the Empires, everything is a skill check. So even in combat, it's a skill check. It uses the same system, unlike some other systems where it's like a skill check is different than when you get into combat. Um, Skill check, I do this. It's the same die roll. Well, actually, I guess it is similar because D20, you roll a D20 for the skill and you roll it to hit. So, But it's the same mechanics. And I say that because in Fantasy Flight games, Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion and Force and Destiny, gotta remember the names, um, they use funky dice. And you use the same funky dice whether you're climbing a rope or you're gonna shoot somebody in the face, right? So when you when when you say, hey, I'm gonna shoot somebody in the face, then it's either melee or ranged. If it's, then that dictates the difficulty of the check. So if you're in melee, it's an easy difficulty. If you're ranged, it depends on how far you are. If it's way far, it's very difficult. You, with the difficulty, you add more purple dice. The more purple dice, the more chances there are of it coming up as a failure. Right? So what happens is you roll, you, it's a dice pool mechanic. You bring them all together, you roll the dice. You're either going to have a success, a threat, a dis, uh, an advantage, a triumph. Uh, and 
I think I'm missing a negative in there somewhere. Okay, so so I, anyways, you roll the I'm, dice and then I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Yep, so we roll the dice. So if you succeed in shooting the person in the face, you shoot him in the face. If they have if you have advantages or a triumph over that, then what happens is it it for every success you do that many damage to so if you have 5 successes, you do that amount of damage to the person. And then uh the triumph and the advantages can trigger certain things. So in some weapons, you have a passive and an active trigger. If it's passive, it means it'll do it regardless, right? If you if you roll a triumph, it automatically does this. Other ones are active. I think it's active, where if you have a triumph, you have to say, yes, I'm going to trigger that piece of my equipment to whop off his hand or shoot him in the face or whatever that is. So there, and then what happens is you can trigger a critical. So some weapons are like, if you roll a triumph, you can trigger its critical. And then when you trigger the critical, you roll a percentile on this fancy chart, and then you add some modifiers to it, and then you see what happens based off that chart. Does that help? It does. It I haven't does. run combat, so if I'm explaining that wrong, I'm not off by by much. But no, I've been that, reading up cool. on it I, because uh, I run it Wednesday, <laughs> and it's some, <laughs> something I'm going to have to know. Let's just put it that way. I guess um, I don't have the specific rules in my head, but I know I have read. I mean, I remember reading some of the original World of Darkness stuff like, hey, this is just a really you can have when they do this, they succeed a lot and um, without decent examples and so forth. And that's why I think some of your um, your better systems like that. I mean, to from what you're describing to me, it sounds like and again, I need to get the rule book. I just haven't had a chance to pick it up. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. When they have really solid examples and they have charts and graphs and stuff. Again, you don't necessarily need the charts and graphs and tables to go through to tell you what critical looks like, but having that, um, I really think that those pieces in there help teach the game master and the players how to, I guess, do it well within, within the game itself. So if you don't, how am I doing this? So I really think, I guess, short version is that the critical hits, the failures and those types of things, I think it really helps to bolster the game master and player's narrative ability. I think by having that in there and the better the mechanic, the easier it will be to teach you or to help you around there. And I really think that the charts and tables for a new person, like my kids or some of the other, uh, even, even adults, I mean, if you've not game master before and you're like, um, I just, you, you feel caught flat footed with this opportunity to narrate, but you're just feeling like, God, I don't know what to do. Having a reference chart, is somebody, oh, all I have to do is roll another D100 and I can figure out what the problem is <clears throat> or what the or the, what the really kick-ass solution is. So I really think there's some cool there's some cool things that can be bought, learned, or whatever um, when you're helping new game masters figure out how to improve their narrative power. That's where I'm coming from. Dungeon Crawl Classics is probably one of the better examples out there. And it's not the the be all end all, but you roll and you if you roll a one, you run and depending on what excuse me, depending on what class you you have, you have a different critical hit table. And if you are, uh, and then fumble table, I think fumble table might be the same across all of them. I, I might have to check on that, but I know critical hit tables. I think you're right on the fumble table. It's been a while since I looked at it. The critical hit tables in dungeon crawl classics change. So if you're a fighter, your critical hit table is different than if you are a, a dwarf. Correct. Cause dwarf is class in yes. dungeon crawl classics. 
And the cool thing is even spells in Dungeon Crawl Classics has like you, you cast a spell, then you roll on that spell and you add your spell casting modifier to it. And, um, whatever you, the higher you roll, the more craziness and, uh, combustible that spell becomes. So it's not, you know, like I cast magic missile, it's one D four plus one. Yay. And no, when you do that in, in dungeon crawl classics, you roll your D 20 spell check, add your modifier to it. And if you roll a 20, plus uh, four or five to it, whatever that is, you look on the table, it's a 25. What do you get as a 25? And it'll say, you know, lightning comes out of your streams out of the tips of your fingers as smoke comes out of your fingernails, hits the person squarely in the, the head and fries their skin off. I mean, it's crazy. Exactly. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a lot like the old Rollmaster Merp stuff. I mean, like I said, the one uh, electrical critical was, you know, Nervous system access superconductor, all witnesses provided with fine light show, dies instantly. And it's <laughs> these cute little blurbs. The cool part about a game like Dungeon Crawl Classics is that it's it's a D20 type of system, clearly. Um, so if you want to port those things from one D20 game to another, if you want to play, play something um, like uh, Castles and Crusades or Crypts and Creatures, any of the other little retro clony things, a lot of those D20 um, well, any of those F20 type of games, those clones, you can grab a Dungeon Crawl Classics. It's worth to me, again, if you want to learn how, how to do it, grab the, uh, grab the book, get the PDF, and take the charts, even if you just steal the charts from there and, and port it over to your other games. It can add some flavor. And again, as Kevin, as Cthulhu in the, in the chat, and I've, and I've mentioned a bunch of times, that it's a good starting point. After you've done it for a while, you won't even, you'll, you'll start taking the charts and either pushing them aside or creating your own. Or you're like, look, I have all, I have the chart committed to memory. I know what that is, and your narrative will be faster and more fluid as you keep punching through it. And that, to me, then helps to translate. So when I play something like Edge of the Empire, if I don't have a chart, and Sean's like, well, it looks like you succeed with a threat, and if my mechanic character is trying to do something, I'm like, well, okay, um, Sean, that feels to me like I, I was able to get the ship's, you know, uh, the, the ship's engine working, but I'm pretty sure I probably damaged something in life support. You know, it's it, not now, but it's going to need repair at some point. Sean may go, yeah, okay, that that fits the threat the threat component of it. It's not bad. It's not going to kill you right now, but it's something that might come come at you later on. <clears throat> so I could see that. Again, to me, it, it's a good it's a good buildup. And um, so where I want to jump to now, Sean, is that something you and I've been talking about in the in the Edge of the Empire game is how much do you as a game master like your players throwing in on the what happens on the critical, what happens on the uh, um, on the fumble or the threat? Well, do you want the players to jump in, or you're like, no, I am game master, master narrative. Fuck off, all y'all. I will do the talking here. Well, that's kind of a bad example because Fantasy Fight Games' is, um, Edge of the Empire game actually says that the player comes up with the results, unless the GM has a specific reason for dictating those. So that game... Well, even- well, even if the game, I mean, the game can say it all at once, but if you, you as a game master, I, I'm asking what you think. Do you like that? Oh, you know, in that case, uh, yeah. Get players it, to do some goddamn work. Is that what you're saying? I've heard that if you empower the players to come up with their own coolness, that they will surprise you. And actually a lot of them will, even when it's negative, they will like to speak up and, and narrate that. 
excuse me, but I don't know if I see that as often um, as I'm led to believe. <laughs> so, so you're saying when um, when we're playing in your game, we're not as we're not as good narrative wise as you believe, or you just don't get the experience? Oh no, no, no! I'm no. <laughs> It's not on you guys. I'm, oh, you guys will be narrating. It's it's going to be inevitable, or else it's the game's going to get you know it's it'll it won't be that great. So it's not you guys. I'm just saying that I've heard that if you flip it over, like even negatives, and you say, okay, you rolled a one and you fumbled. What what happens? Players tend to start getting into that, or so I've heard. But I haven't witnessed that a lot. One is probably because I'm not playing a lot of you know critical fumbles games um and i don't know if the players that i game with are big uh on the negative sides of role-playing okay like they lean more on maybe on and i could be wrong i definitely could be wrong it's not everybody and it's hard to say unless i really roll with it okay so i found so in in that vein um one of the things i found when i have tossed the narrative ball to the player even if it so even if the mechanic itself doesn't say so um if it's a fail or a success oftentimes with crit, critical success right they they shoot him and they roll a big 20 or they they hit him hard with the with the two-handed sword or whatever <clears throat> excuse me like yeah i want to chop him in half i want to do this cool thing they've got this this uh, example or, or narrative already built up in their head when something negative happens and say hey you you're going to fumble what do you think and if you throw it to him, sometimes the player feels very on the spot, like, um, I didn't know I was here to narrate, uh, you know, and depending on the age and, um, you slap them really quick. Like, Hey, yeah, just, just, hey, boom, wake up. Hey, come exactly. on. I'm talking to you. Get on just it. Drop the neck, just shake the little bastard and just say, God damn it. Talk to me. Um, uh, 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 I dropped my weapon. All right, let's go. Stick in the game here. So, so um, <laughs> a better, a better way to do it perhaps is to if you've got an idea is to lay a couple out there i usually give them two like if i throw okay you've just failed what do you think sean and sean goes um i'll say well i'm seeing x or y what do you think pick one okay go with y done and sometimes that way the player uh, i mean as angela's saying if they're not sure where the boundaries are or what they can or can't get away with when you start throwing examples or ideas to them then like oh this is within the bounds of what makes sense for me. And then they start stretching a little bit. They'll take that example that you gave them instead of one or two, they make a, well, um, actually I'd like this other thing because sometimes as with anything creative, um, you need a creative kick, right? Sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, a quick example or an idea can get the player saying, Oh, I have the power to choose this thing. Brett gave me two ideas and I've got something else to do. So, I think do it at a con, man. Cool. Do it at a con. Hey, what happens? What happens? Uh, hey, you. Hey, what do you think happens to her? And you're, I think, I think her hand like gets chopped off. Awesome. And then what? And then the then when it goes back to that person. I bet you that that yep, player's like that player's be like, oh, he totally knocks off his own head. Oh, that's perfect. Awesome. Yeah, right. And get everybody going after each other. <laughs> So even if we're not talking, um, even if we're not talking con game per se, but if you're, I, I think again, to get people into it, if somebody is having a hard time from a player perspective, narrating the failure or even the critical, if you as game master or other players, I'm, I, my group will do this periodically. Like 
I'll be like, well, I think, and then bam, Lenny will throw something in Dave, Kevin. Well, I'm thinking this, this will, this is what makes sense to me. And it doesn't take long. You get a pretty quick consensus from people like, yeah, we like that idea. And they've gone negative stuff or positive stuff or whatever. <clears throat> um, and I think that there's a cool piece. One of the folks in the, uh, in the chat room commented on this is kind of that matrix moment where you slow the combat down for an instant and you go for, um, exactly. It's like bullet time, babe. Right. And you're, you're in the combat and you've got this critical hit. It gives you say, okay, here's what happens. After you take in all of the input from everybody and you narrate the, you know, the dwarf wading through the goblins, knocking aside the small ones, leaps in the air, does the thing. Um, it's, it's cool. And it gives you that opportunity to take in all that stuff and then force it right into narrative. Even the negative things you can do as well. And again, if your player, the player on the spot doesn't get it, other players, I strongly suggest you, you is and game master throw a couple options at them, at least two. Well, I'm seeing X or Y. What do you think? Pick one, if nothing else, and then you can help keep it going. So you don't have too much bullet time is a bad thing too. too much matrixy slow down. You know, if it take, takes too long to decide it, that's not fun. What? Too much bullet <laughs> time, matrixy, too much. Yes, yeah, because we much. all play role playing games where everybody's doing the matrix thing every time no, you I'm turn just, around. I'm, it's the slow motion component of it where the narrative is very detailed, is what I'm talking about. Perhaps a bad example. But. I want everything in my role playing games to be gonzo. If you go into a bar and it's the boringest shit in the world, I want you to order a drink with gusto. Okay. If that <laughs> extra gusto. I that's, demand an ale. That's, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, good God. Yeah, that's what I'm what talking God, about. What, what gives, man? I punched the bartender in the face. I said an ale. Oh, good, good Lord. Craziness. So, anyway, I think that the, again, to, <laughs> I'd have to go back in the history of gaming to determine if the critical hits and fumbles were the first component of this. I mean, I remember reading <clears throat> some of the original D&D books. They talked about trying to make combat narrative and trying to make skill checks narrative. But I think those charts and graphs and tables were like the first, like, hey, here's how you can do a thing. I believe that still holds a lot of power for an up-and-coming game master or players. And once you get used to them, you can roll into things um, easier. Um, having other, I mean, because even if a game itself, even if your game system doesn't necessarily have a mechanic like an Edge of the Empire with threats, uh, triumphs, and so forth, there's no reason that you can't use some of those narrative components of it to uh, to throw in, if you will, and help make the uh, and help make the adventure a little more entertaining. That's what I think. That's good thinking, think, man. I think that's good stuff, man. All right. Are we good with? <clears throat> we, I are, think I'm good are right we now. Good, or we, did we miss anything? I, no, I think that's pretty much what I, what I want to talk about. I think it's um, I don't think that necessarily having charts and tables indicates a good system or a better system than another. <clears throat> but I'm really digging more on. I think your more modern games and some things that they're throwing out there are better ways to. They're better examples and I um in different ways to get people to understand how the narration fits within the within the within the component of it. So it's another tool in the toolbox, if you will. Um but anyway, I, th I think it's cool. And I really like the idea of pitching stuff to the players and encouraging them strongly. Even if you don't have tables and charts, just pull them in and say, What do you think should pull happen? them in? Grab cool. them by their freaking scruff and pull them in. 
Yes. Whether they like it or not. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's if all you, I had, man. That's if, what I had. If you, if you run critical hits and critical fumbles in your RPG and it's not native to the game or you do something unique with them, by all means, write in to us via email at gamingnbs at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or the Google Plus community or even Twitter and let us know how you incorporate those into your game and how uh, how do the players get into that? If, if you're a GM, how do you encourage players to get into that? If you if you do, sometimes maybe you, you dictate it. But anyways, we'd be interested to hear from you. Thanks. Yeah, and if there's a game system you think really helps or is really kick-ass at it, lay us out there because I'm positive there's game systems out there that Sean and I have not heard of. So What? There's some good stuff out there. There's good stuff, man. Okay, not heard of. That's crazy. I know it's insane. All right, let's get into die roll. Die roll. As my friend, my new friend Mark Dawson would say, this is die roll where we discuss two D4 miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you and bring to your attention. And if you think something is worthy enough for the die, mighty die roll, submit it to us and we'll put it on the air and give you some credit, maybe give you some XP. We should. We should have an ongoing XP. Yeah, we could do that. Like just start like a spreadsheet of people who submit stuff and do things and give them XP and level them up. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's one more. That's one more bit of bookkeeping we need to do, Sean. Yeah, yeah, it's good. All we'll right. just make an app. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. You should. Right. We could make an app. Like we make an app. It's part of the podcast. And they do things like, hey, record a little bumper, and then they record it, and then they submit it, and it automatically gives them XP for it. I am a freaking genius. Next, let's go to 2D4. I like it. Let's go, let's go to the die roll. All right. So my first one is um, Mr. Mo Tusano, the Canadian god of gaming, posted this up for us, um, or I should say in general on the Google Pluses, 3D room tiles for the Mice and Mystics board game. I'm a fan of Mice and Mystics. I've talked about it here on the show before. Great board game, and uh, I've got the link out there in the show notes. It's for uh, it's just it's three D room tiles. Basically, your characters you're playing are are warriors and wizards and stuff transformed into mice, and you're going through this. Um, and you go through these different adventures, and having it kind of three Ds. It's almost instead of just a flat board game, it's kind of like using uh, Dwarven Forge, if you will, type of thing. So that gets pretty damn cool. Huh. Um, the other one I had number two is um, a do-it-yourself gaming table. There is a, a lot of people um, have been, um, <laughs> excuse me, I should say, as of late, I've seen on Google Plus talking about, excuse me, uh, different gaming tables, designs, play, play spaces, and so forth. I've seen a number of these different com- com- components. And one of the pieces this guy does in here is he takes a, a TV and insets it so that he can use it basically as a large monitor to put out maps and things so that you can move miniatures across the top of it. This is something my buddy Zave and I and Alpha have been talking about for a couple of years, so I thought this was a pretty cool little bit. It's a it's a longer YouTube watch, but it's kind of cool what he what he pulls out through it. So anyway, that's what I had, Sean. What have you got, brother? Maps are so two thousand and one. Whatever, dude. Retro man, <laughs> retro. Yeah. Okay. Number one, diversity in tabletop role playing community. It is a short film. I would consider it a short film documentary by John Sheldon, who I follow on Google Plus and Facebook. Um, I think he went to Metatopia and spoke to Mark D.S. Truman 
and Rob Donahue and some other individuals that are within the RPG industry. Um, and it just, I thought it was worth the watch. I think all of us need to watch it just to get some awareness around it. Because if you listen to it and some of the things that some people have gone through in our hobby, it's just like, are you freaking serious? That really happens. And you know, who knows? Maybe I've done it before. I don't know, but it's just craziness, but he put it together. It's well-produced. I think considering John's, I don't think a professional movie maker, but I I thought it was well done and well worth watching. So check it out on, on YouTube for sure. Very cool. More Vikings needed for transatlantic voyage on a 115 foot long ship. Brett, if anybody looks like a Viking, it's you. You, hey. I, I might have to. Well, I, hey, Mrs. I'll Brett, look into it if I got time. Mrs. Brett, there's a <laughs> long she, ship waiting for waiting for him. If she could put me on a long ship and send me away for a transatlantic voyage for a while, I think she might do that. I think it I all think depends. All depends on when you ask her. <laughs> it all depends. Yeah. Uh, sometimes are probably or, better earlier, than earlier today or yesterday. <laughs> yeah. She'd have put me in a fucking canoe, I think. Sometimes I- <laughs> a, loaf of, a loaf of moldy bread and or, cheese. Or maybe just a black bag that, like, you know, takes on water really quick. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so if you're not doing anything, transatlantic flight. I mean, uh, hey, screw those luxury cruises, man. Screw, like, Festival and Carnival cruise lines. Do this. Seasickness, disease. Yeah. <laughs> what what's not to get into crappy there crappy conditions <laughs> all right uh that's it for die roll let's get into the sponsor great out productions maker of fine dice bags <clears throat> yep that's our buddy michael althauser over at uh, greatout.etsy.com uh use our gaming nbs all one word promo you get 10 percent off your order Christmas is really, really freaking close. Chances are, I don't, well, I'm going to say chances are, but you have to talk to Michael. I'm not sure if he can get you your dice bags before Christmas or not. He's had a number of different things in his um, inventory, but he's got the old uh, dual draw strength, tough as nails, as I'm uh, fond of saying, and uh, does some really good custom work. And even, like I said, the things that are in his uh, in his shop right now. So check him out. Throw him a shekel or two. Hey, what gamer doesn't need another die bag, man? And find him over at greatout.etsy.com. That's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T.etsy.com. Thanks for sponsoring the show, Michael. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Speaking of sponsors, we've had uh, we've got a patron out there, and uh, Joe Swick, Kevin uh, Lovecraft, Kev Flulu have been uh, patrons of the show. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for continuing your support. There's others out there as well, but uh, thank you all. Good really really nice to see yeah and so pimping for the show if you haven't we sent out our first newsletter brett did you get a copy i did indeed get a copy i think i'll have to look yeah so we put right to my junk we put out our first email (laughs) that's just kind of talking about what we're doing for 2016 and where we're going to be for cons if you want to be on that email list go over to gamingmbs.com go to the right side put in your name First name, last name, and email address. We don't spam you. We don't send it to anybody else. Just lets you know what's going on with us. Maybe solicit some feedback from you. That's pretty much about it, man. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.